Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. The key to great dialogue isn't in what the characters say, it's in what they don't say. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Panuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach, and each week we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Okay, raise your hand if you struggle with writing dialogue. Maybe you love character and you love world building and you find that to be fun and what you really love about writing, but with dialogue, maybe it's just the back and forth, maybe it's the quotation marks or making sure the dialogue sounds right, but you find dialogue to be exhausting to write. So, Is there an easy way to do it? Well, today I have three simple tips to help you make your dialogue more realistic, more interesting, and compelling to read, and much easier to write. So dialogue between characters is just one of those things writers struggle with, because we want the dialogue to sound like real life, But when we try to make it sound like a real conversation, it just sounds banal. You know something's off, but you can't put your finger on it. Now, story dialogue is not the same as real-life dialogue. Real-life dialogue rambles. We go off topic. We digress. Our conversations wander. They stop and start. They pick up subjects from other conversations, and a lot of our conversations are often with people who agree with us. They share our political views, they share our views about other people, and that's just not dramatic enough for a story, even if it mimics real-life conversation. Story dialogue is more organized. It's a form of action. It has drama conflict, and it's driven by motivation. Now, you could say that about real-life dialogue, too. Real-life dialogue can have conflict, and it's driven by motivation, etc., but real-life dialogue isn't as taut and shaped and compressed as story dialogue. It's not crafted. But there are ways we can make the dialogue sound natural and riveting. 
So in this episode, I'm going to give you three ways to do just that, to write dialogue that sounds true, natural, and above all, compelling to the reader. What makes dialogue interesting boils down to three things, drama, conflict, and motivation. You just want to bring two or more characters who are in conflict with one another into the same space. When practicing dialogue, start with two characters who want different things in the scene. So you have two characters who are in conflict with one another. Now by conflict, I don't mean it's a confrontation necessarily. It's not necessarily an argument. It could be, but characters don't need to be angry at one another or in any kind of fight to have conflict. They certainly could be, but it's not a requirement in order to have dramatic conflict. Conflict simply means one character wants something, the other character wants something else that's in conflict. So their motives clash. Now, each character and what they say is driven by motive. So you need to know what each character wants out of the scene. And more important, you need to know why what they want matters to them. And you want to avoid dialogue that isn't on the direct conflict line. So here are three ways to craft your dialogue. Technique number one cross purposes. You want to use dialogue to get at the opposition. Now, it can be playful. It can be contentious. You just want to capture the conflicts between character A and character B, or character A, B, and C. Character A wants something, and character B wants something else. Motive, conflict. Now, even if both characters ultimately want the same thing, there can still be conflict. Cross purposes can be that both characters just have different ways of getting the thing they want. Here's a great little dialogue scene between Milton and Tessie from Jeffrey Eugenides' novel, Middlesex. You know, to set the stage, Both Milton and Tessie want to have a daughter. They are hell-bent on conceiving a daughter. They already have a son, so their hearts are set on having a baby girl. And Uncle Pete has told them that sperm carrying the male chromosome swim faster than sperm carrying the female chromosome. And that in order to have a baby girl, a couple should have sex 24 hours prior to ovulation. That way, the swift male sperm would rush in and die off. The female sperm, sluggish but more reliable, would arrive just as the egg dropped. So here we have both characters want the same thing, a daughter. And then one evening, Milton comes home with a present a jewelry box tied with a ribbon. Here's the dialogue. What's this for? Tessie asked suspiciously. What do you mean, what is it for? It's not my birthday. 
It's not our anniversary, so why are you giving me a present? Do I have to have a reason to give you a present? Go on, open it. Tessie crumpled up one corner of her mouth, unconvinced. But it was difficult to hold a jewelry box in your hand without opening it. So finally, she slipped off the ribbon and snapped the box open. Inside, on black velvet, was a thermometer. A thermometer, said my mother. That's not just any thermometer, said Milton. I had to go to three different pharmacies to find one of these. A luxury model, huh? That's right, said Milton. That's what you call a basal thermometer. It reads the temperature down to a tenth of a degree. He raised his eyebrows. Normal thermometers only read every two tenths. This one does it every tenth. Put it in your mouth. I don't have a fever, said Tessie. This isn't about a fever. You use it to find out what your base temperature is. It's more accurate and precise than a regular fever-type thermometer. Next time, bring me a necklace. Okay, so Milton persists. He goes into more into the science of getting a girl chromosome, what he learned from Uncle Pete, and how the basal thermometer works. But after her husband gives her the science to persuade her to use the thermometer, Tessie says nothing. She puts the thermometer into the box, closes it, and hands it back to her husband. And here's how the scene ends. Okay, he said. Fine. Suit yourself. We may get another boy. Number two. If that's the way you want it, that's the way it'll be. I'm not so sure we're going to have anything at the moment, replied my mother. And that's the end of the scene. Okay, so they both want the same thing, a daughter, but they're still at cross purposes. Now, imagine if Milton had explained what the basal thermometer was, and Tessie just accepted it, took her temperature to get her baseline, just as her husband wanted, well... What would be the fun in that? We don't want characters to agree. We want some clash. So use cross-purposes to craft your dialogue, even if both characters ultimately want the same thing. So think of motive. He wants her to use this thermometer, and she doesn't want to. Simple. And the dialogue is on the direct conflict line. So... Cross-purposes, conflict. And that brings us to technique number two, non-answering. Now, non-answering could be silence. It could be an argument. It could be a lie or even a half-truth. It could be answering with a question. Or it could just be an answer that's completely irrelevant, Okay, so here are examples of non-answering from a story we talked about in last week's episode, A Portrait of Wildness. So to set the stage, August brings Ness to a dinner party. 
at his ex-lover's house on a night Ness would rather study for a chemistry exam she'll be taking the next morning. Now, August's intention is to use Ness to make Laura jealous. Ness just wants to get home early enough to study for her exam. Now, this story has many great instances of non-answering. For example, as they're waiting on the doorstep of Laura's house, Ness says, she's got a really nice house. And then noticing the for sale sign on the lawn, she asks, is she selling it? Now, by way of explanation, August replies, she and her husband have been going through a divorce since the day they got married. So it's not really a direct answer. Then when Laura opens the door, before she even lets them in, she asks, who's this, August? To which he says, this is my wildness, the love of my life. It's a non-answer because it's very misleading. So Laura presses him. Is she your daughter? He says, no, which is true, but really a half-truth. She's his goddaughter, but his intention, remember, is to get Laura jealous. So it's really a non-answer. Now, this story has a lot of non-answering happening. It's very effective. Here's another example. So after dinner, at this point, it's 11.10 p.m. Ness is drunk, and so are August and Laura, who are now slow dancing. And then the front door slams, and in comes her husband and 13-year-old son, Nick. And here's the dialogue. The boys are home, Laura said, much too loudly. She slipped back into her shoes. Who won the game? We don't know, Nick said, shooting his father a look of hatred. They kicked us out of the stadium before it ended. What do you mean? asked Laura. Ask him, spat Nick, heading for the stairs. Laura's husband was staring at August. What's he doing here? he asked. Wait, Nick, Laura called. Come here, darling. Can't you see we have company? Laura pulled him to her and smoothed his hair, which was dyed black and gelled into a mass of little spikes like the surface of a pineapple. Do you remember my dear friend, August Roundtree? No, get off me, mom. So character A asks a question or makes a statement or a bid or a plea and character B responds with a non-answer. Now, as a side note, there's a lot of cross purposes in this story between the three main characters. But number one, you have cross purposes. Number two, non-answering. It could be silence, argument, a lie or a half-truth, answering with a question, or it could just be a response that's completely irrelevant. Okay, on to technique number three, subtext. This is a really powerful way to bring tension to a scene. So you want to think of the things that the characters don't want to say to one another. So this way the dialogue is loaded and the characters are dancing around what they really mean to say, but they're getting at it sideways. They talk in code. Now, both characters understand the code. They understand what's underneath the words, but it's withheld from the reader. You want to think of the reader eavesdropping on a conversation between your characters. 
Here's a great example of subtext from Hemingway's story, Hills Like White Elephants. So to set the stage, we have a girl and a man waiting for a train. They're sitting down to get a drink while they're waiting for their train. It tastes like licorice, the girl said and put the glass down. That's the way with everything, he said. Yes, said the girl. Everything tastes of licorice. Especially all the things you've waited so long for, like absinthe. Oh, cut it out. You started it, the girl said. I was being amused. I was having a fine time. Okay, so we gather the tension from these two characters. There's a little bit of passive aggression on the girl's part. So something's up. We don't really know. There's some kind of rift between them. Something is not right. We intuit it, and it's all in the subtext. So again, she says, Everything tastes of licorice, especially all the things you've waited so long for, like absinthe. Oh, cut it out. You started it, the girl said. I was being amused. I was having a fine time. Well, let's try and have a fine time. All right, I was trying. I said the mountains looked like white elephants. Wasn't that bright? That was bright. I wanted to try this new drink. That's all we do isn't it? Look at things and try new drinks. I guess so. The girl looked across at the hills. They're lovely hills, she said. They don't really look like white elephants. I just meant the coloring of their skin through the trees. Should we have another drink? All right. The warm wind blew the bead curtain against the table. The beer's nice and cool, the man said. It's lovely, the girl said. Okay, now we get into what's really bugging these two. It's really an awfully simple operation, Jake, the man said. It's not really an operation at all. The girl looked at the ground, the table legs rested on. I know you wouldn't mind it, Jake. It's really not anything. It's just to let the air in. The girl did not say anything. I'll go with you, and I'll stay with you all the time. They just let the air in, and then it's all perfectly natural. Then what will we do afterwards? Well, we'll be fine afterwards, just like we were before. What makes you think so? That's the only thing that bothers us. It's the only thing that's made us unhappy. The girl looked at the bead curtain, put her hand out, and took hold of two of the string of beads. And you think then we'll be all right and be happy. I know we will. You don't have to be afraid. I've known lots of people that have done it. So have I, said the girl. And afterwards, they were all so happy. Okay, so I'll stop there. But we intuitively know what the operation is, even though these characters are dancing around a pretty inflamed subject. So again, You want to think of what each character wants out of this interaction. The man is pressuring her to have an abortion, so he's being manipulative, and she's resentful, rightfully. She doesn't want it, and she's resentful that he doesn't want the baby. 
So the dialogue is loaded. Now, notice that neither character ever mentions the word abortion. They dance around it. So this dialogue uses cross-purposes, it uses non-answering, and it uses subtext. This feels completely like real-life dialogue, right? Hemingway stays distanced from these two characters. We're rarely in either character's head. And when we are, it's so brief and fleeting and subtle, we barely notice it. But for the most part, we're just a fly on the wall. So think of what the characters don't want to say and get at it through the subtext. The reader will fill in what's not said. This really is the thrill of reading. Readers don't want to be spoon-fed. They're captivated by collaborating with what's on the page, by filling in what's unsaid. Okay, so let's recap. Story dialogue is not like real-life dialogue. It's more organized, and every piece of dialogue is intentional. Dialogue is a form of action. It has drama, conflict, and motivation. So here are those three techniques to craft your dialogue. Number one, cross purposes. One character wants one thing out of the scene. The other character wants something else. The man wants the girl to have an abortion. She doesn't want it. Milton wants his wife to use a basal thermometer to ensure they conceive of a daughter. They both want the daughter but she does not want to use that thermometer. Ness wants to pass her chemistry midterm. August wants to get his ex-lover jealous. So cross purposes in every scene of dialogue to make the scene interesting and compelling, use cross purposes. Technique number two, non-answering. This means silences or Answer with a question, a half-truth, a lie, or just something that's completely irrelevant. And number three, subtext. Think of the thing that characters don't want to say to one another. This works great with a more objective point of view. Hemingway is a great study for this. The key to great dialogue isn't in what the characters say, it's in what they don't say. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing. And I'll talk to you soon.